tonight is James 4, 7. It says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that verse makes it very clear that you are the one that resists the devil and he flees from you, not directly from God. If you are praying and saying, oh God, please get the devil off my back, it'll never work. God gave you authority and you have to resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's not your power, but it's God's power in you. And until you get to fighting and resisting the devil, he won't flee. So what I want to do this morning is begin to talk about this warfare against the devil. I really stressed this last night, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, that we aren't wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a battle going on, and most Christians have heard about this. They don't participate in it a lot, but they've heard that there's this battle going on. And they really are, most Christians are intimidated at Satan's power. They think that, yes, our power is greater than Satan's, but just barely. They give Satan a tremendous amount of credit. Matter of fact, if you were to do a survey, if you were to take people who are non-Christians, non-churchgoers, did you know most of them don't give Satan the time of day? Many of them don't even believe in the existence of the devil. But among Christians, they believe that there's a devil. And most of them believe that Satan is this power powerful, formidable force, and most Christians are really intimidated. Matter of fact, I had one woman come up to me last night who said that she had called our prayer chain and our our prayer ministry and stuff, but that Satan had grabbed her and that there were these physical manifestations. I said, it's no big deal. And she was just kind of shocked, like, it is a big deal. I said, no, it's not a big deal. Any of you ever hear of this guy, Smith Wigglesworth? Smith Wigglesworth tells a story about going to bed one night and he saw movement at the end of his bed and he held his candle up like this and looked and there was a demon standing at the end of his bed. What would you do if you saw a demon standing at the end of your bed? Most of us said, man, go to praying in tongues, rebuke and bind and we'd call somebody, we'd go into spiritual warfare, we'd get excited because, man, we'd be terrified and we'd be fighting this. You know what Smith did? He just blew out the candle and said, oh, it's just you. Blew the candle out and went to bed. (laughs) Satan can't do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. And the very fact that the church gives Satan so much attention and magnify him and talk. I mean, they love to say the devil made me do it. Flip Wilson wasn't the first one to come up with that. The church did. And the church loves to blame the devil and talk about all of these things. And they love to glorify all of the demonic things. And there's people that they, their whole ministry consists of exposing all of these things. And in the process of trying to expose the devil, they have magnified him and given him much more credit than what he deserves. That's not accurate. You know, let me give you this one story before I get into this teaching and share some things with you from scripture, but... I was on an airplane. This is many, many years ago when they still allowed smoking on the airplane. And uh, they had a smoking section. And anyway, it was, uh, they put us on, there was a friend of mine, Philip Moore was with me. And they put us on the last row of the plane in the smoking section. And there was a guy up against the window here. I was sitting in the middle seat and Philip was on the aisle seat. And while we were sitting at the uh, uh, gate before the, plain door had even closed and stuff. This guy that was sitting next to me smoked two cigarettes while we were sitting at the gate. And the stewardess came up, told him, you got to put out your cigarette. And he'd just cuss her. I mean, he was vile. He was vicious and yelled at her. And she just basically let him do what he wanted to. So he was smoking. He had on one of these floppy French beret hats and he had a, he had kind of red hair a strawberry blonde kind of hair, and he had a beard that was down to his waist, and it had big old holes out of it where it had been matted, and he had to pull something out, and his big old holes gone in the beard. And He had on an army field jacket that had cigarette burns all over it, and he stunk. He had uh, fingernails that were like an inch long, and there was green and yellow crud coming out from under his fingernails, and the guy's teeth were all blackened and rotten, and he had bad breath. He just... He was a mess. And uh, anyway, I was sitting next to this guy. So the stewardess was having problems and he was yelling at them and just cussing everybody. And so I started talking to this guy. 
And I asked him, I said, so what do you do? What kind of job do you do? What, what, what do you do for work? And I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember the uh, Maynard G. Krebs, Dobie Gillis. Anybody remember that on TV? And uh, Maynard, every time you'd say work, he'd go, work? <laughs> well, that's the way this guy was. I said, what kind of work do you do? And he goes, work. He says, why should I work? He says, the government pays me a good living not to work. He says, this, this old capitalistic system has to have 10% unemployment to make it work. I'm just helping the system. I get my food out of dipsy dumpsters, trash cans, and things like that. And so I started telling him, I said, look, God created man. And even Adam and Eve, he created them and gave them work to do, told them to dress the garden. I said, you would be much more blessed if you were to work and do something. And I just kept talking to him about the Lord and mentioning God. And every time I'd mention the Lord, this guy would turn and look out the window and he, you could tell he didn't want to hear it. And I just kept talking to him about the Lord. And finally, we were up in the air by this time. And this guy, he just wheeled around like this and put his nose right up against my nose. And he yelled at me out, out loud on this airplane. And he said, you are speaking to a disciple of the Maharishi. And he gave out this long name, which in the conversation I found out was a name for Satan. He was a Satanist high priest. Told me he'd cut out people's hearts and killed them and offered them and different things. And he just stood there. And I mean, there was demonic power in his eyes. And it was, it was something else. And he had his nose right up against me yelling at me. Now, what would you do? You know what, if I'd have reached over and grabbed Philip's hand and said, oh, let's pray and agree and let's bind it. You know what, I'd have been had. You know, when that happened, it just, it infuriated me. It, it was like, he challenged me. So, you know, he kind of backed off and he was looking at me trying to intimidate me and I stuck my nose back up against his nose. And I yelled at him and I said, you are speaking to a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. My God's bigger than your God. <laughs> and you should have seen this guy. He went from intimidation and anger to he just jumped up in his seat and put his back up against the window. And he started barking like a dog <laughs> and clacking his teeth together. And he had this fingernail. He, he bit his fingernail and pulled his thumb out by the roots and blood was going everywhere. And he was just, he was just petrified. And man, I started laying it on him. I said, you're a loser. Your God's a loser. He said, oh, I love my devil. I'd die for my devil. And I said, you have. Look at you. I said, you're dead and don't know it. You get your food out of Dipsy Dumpster. Some God you got. I said, he really provides well for you. I said, you're a loser. And I just began to lay it on this guy. And he says, I, could, I have killed 20-something people and cut their hearts out and offered human sacrifices. I can curse you and you'll be dead within 30 minutes. And I said, shoot your best shot. I dare you right now. I said, the curse causeless shall not come. I said, say something against me and it'll come back on you 10 times worse. And he just freaked out. And he got up and he went to the restroom, came back, and he was just calm. I don't know what he did, but he calmed himself down. And he was sitting there and I didn't say anything. And he looked around and he said, beautiful day, isn't it? And I said, every day's a great day with Jesus. And he jumps up in the seat and goes to <laughs> barking. And there were these two Filipino ladies that were right in front of us. And when he started doing all of this, I saw their eyes come up above that thing like this. And they were just... <laughs> and I don't know what happened, but you know that plane vacated about five or six rows in front of us. They were just gone. And it was an hour and 45 minute flight. And for an hour and 15 minutes, there was nobody around. <laughs> Philip was praying in tongues over here and I was just giving it to this guy. Man. But anyway, my point is, see, that if you sit there and if you think that Satan is really this formidable foe and that he's cut people's hearts out, and if you had any fear or reservation, I guarantee you, you'd be dead in a situation like that. You've got to know that Satan is a zero with the rim knocked off. 
Satan exists and he has power, but all of Satan... Now get this. This is what I'm going to try and establish in Scripture today. All of Satan's power is dependent upon you cooperating. He can't do anything to you without your consent or cooperation. If you don't cooperate, if you blow the candle out and go to bed instead of getting in fear, Satan is powerless. He has never made a one of you fail. Satan has not made anybody here be depressed, discouraged, sick. He can't force you to do anything. And this attitude that the church is the one that's the primary promoter of it, where Satan has this superior human power, has actually worked against us to the point that we have been intimidated by the devil. Let's turn over to the book of Genesis and and let's just look at some things right here that I think could really change your whole impression about the way this works. In Genesis chapter 3, this is where Satan came against Adam and Eve and he used the serpent. He spoke through the serpent, but the Bible says in in John chapter 8, Jesus said that Satan is the father of all lies. This serpent was speaking lies, misrepresenting God. So we know that Satan was the one who was using him. Even though the serpent was speaking, he was, um, he was possessed by the devil. Satan was in him. And it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman. Now think about this. Why didn't Satan get a elephant, a mammoth, and come against Adam and Eve and try and overpower them or get a lion or a tiger or some vicious animal and come and try and force them into subjection? Why did he choose the most subtle? The word subtle here means crafty, deceiving, deceptive animal. Why did he choose a cunning animal? Because he had zero zero, zero power to force Adam and Eve to do anything. And when the serpent came, he didn't come and and threaten to bite them, poison them or anything. He came with words, talking to them, challenging the word of God. Satan had zero power to force Adam and Eve to do anything. All he could do was come and try and get them into deception And only if they bought into his lies could he do anything in their life. He didn't come to overpower them. He came to deceive them. And this is exactly what the scripture says over in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11. That scripture I've already quoted. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against, uh, what does it say? Against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The verse right in front of that says, be strong in the Lord. Or what does it say, Carol? Verse 10. Is it up there? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Where's the one? You know what? Let me turn over here and read this. I'll find it. That, yeah, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil is the one I'm trying to get. There it is. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles means the deception, the lies. The thing that we're fighting is Satan's deception, not him. Satan does not have power. Satan's only power is deception. He doesn't have any power. Most people think that Satan has this superior power and that they are fighting this demonic force that is greater than them. Satan is not greater than you. This is why Satan had to have a body to inhabit. He had to speak through an animal. When uh, in the fifth chapter of the book of Mark, when Jesus cast these uh, legion of demons out of the man who is the Gadarene demoniac, They pled with him, let us enter into this herd of swine. You know why they wanted to enter into the swine? Because a pig has more power than the devil. They have to have a human body or a physical body to inhabit. They would prefer a human body, but even a slug has more power than the devil. The devil can't do anything unless some body, some physical body gives place to him. 
You have more authority than the devil. A pig has more authority than the devil. A dog has more authority than the devil. A moth has more authority than the devil. That usually goes over about like that. You know what? This doesn't fit most people's theology because we love again to say, well, the devil made me do this. No, the devil didn't make you do anything. The devil tempted you. He lied to you. And if it's working in your life, if you're being oppressed by the devil, it's because you are helping him. He can't do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. Some people think, well, man, this isn't blessing. You're saying that I'm, I'm to blame? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying we have an enemy out here and he's going about and he's lying and he's trying to deceive us. He goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He can't just devour everybody. If it was just up to the devil, every one of us would be sick. Every one of us would be poor. Every one of us would be depressed. Every one of us would be suicidal. Every one of us would be totally messed up. That's Satan's will. But he can't do it to everybody. He has to go about seeking whom he may devour. He has to find people who have bought into his lies. And brothers and sisters, we have lots of people that have bought into the lies of the devil. It says over in Colossians chapter 2, let me look at this passage of scripture. Colossians chapter 2, in verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you. The word spoil here isn't talking about like meat spoils. It's talking about spoil you, like you conquer an enemy and you strip them of everything that they have. Take the spoils of battle. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. I could take time. I've actually got about eight hours worth of teaching on this one verse and I could take the time and show you that every one of these things are talking about ways of thinking, about your thought life. This is how Satan comes against you. Unless he can convince you in your mind, you are the one that is destroying your own life under the deception and under the inspiration of the devil. But Satan doesn't have the power to mess with you. All he can do is lie and deceive. And this is the reason that you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free because once you know the truth, Satan's power is totally blown away. He has no power except deception. And when you tell people the truth, the truth will set people free. We have given Satan way too much, way too much power. You know, let me, let me just say some things here. You're going to have to think to follow me and get what I'm saying. I apologize for making you think. I know that most people do not want to think when you go to church. You just want to have somebody fire you up and get you all inspired and motivated and lay hands over you, wave their hands so that you can be healed and set free and go back to living carnal. But if you'll think, this will really help you. Think about this. Most... Uh, again, I'm not going to get into a tremendous amount of detail because I could spend hours on this, but I just want to say some things quickly. Most people believe that Satan rebelled at God prior to the creation of this world, that there was a pre-Adamic civilization, that in between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2, that the earth was destroyed under Satan's leadership. And Genesis 1, 2 is a recreation of the earth. And there's a multiple of reasons why they do that. One of them is because this helps things fit into evolution. To think that the earth has existed for millions and millions of years and the, uh, the Genesis account is just a recreation of the earth. And so it fits the people who want to buy into evolution. And also it answers some questions about Satan and where did demons come from and things like this. And most people, this is probably the most dominant uh, theological position in the body of Christ today is that Satan had this kingdom that ruled before Adam and Eve were created and that he was the ruler of this kingdom and that God destroyed him. And so anyway, here is this vile, condemned being who was here on the earth and God put Adam and Eve in an environment and allowed the devil, this demonic power, to just roam in the Garden of Eden where his innocent creation was. To me, that would be similar to you taking your children and putting them in the backyard with a lion and seeing if your two-year-old is able to handle it. 
Just see how they respond. You know what? Most people would consider that child abuse. To just turn Satan loose on the earth and see if Adam and Eve could overcome him? That doesn't make sense to me. Let me suggest this to you, and I'm going to show you some scriptures on this. I believe that when when Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he hadn't fallen yet. That this, he was still in his angelic form. He was still a godly angel. And according to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14, that scripture is talking about angels. And it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Angels were created to minister to us, saints. They are like servants to us. They are God's messengers. And Lucifer was in the Garden of Eden to serve and to wait upon man, not as this demonic force. God did not turn some evil demonic force loose on Adam and Eve just to see if they could withstand. I believe that that's significant. And that's the reason that Lucifer had to speak through an animal and had to just challenge the Word of God and deceive Adam and Eve. He couldn't force them into doing anything because all of his power was to minister for them, not against them. He couldn't take that power. Also, did you turn over to Revelation chapter 12 and look at this verse. In Revelation chapter 12... And it's talking about the devil and it's using a a metaphor here, symbolism. And it says in verse 3 that there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And um, anyway, it talks about this woman who brought forth a child and the dragon chased him and tried to devour him and the earth opened up. In verse 7 it says, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and... And uh, the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. And he was cast out under the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And it says somewhere here in this same context that his tail drew one third of the stars and cast them to the earth. And anyway, my point is that this is where people get that Satan rebelled with one-third of the angels against God. And they get it from this passage of Scripture. Now, in the first place, this is symbolism. And even though you don't ignore symbolism, you need to take it as symbolism and you need to be careful how you interpret it. Plus, it's the only place in Scripture that I'm aware of that it mentions anything about one-third of the stars and it's using it in a symbolic form. I'm not sure that this is saying that Satan got one-third of the angels to rebel with him. But let's just assume that it does mean that. I can tell you that even if Satan had one-third of the angels and God had two-thirds of the angels, it would still be stupid to charge God and try and overthrow his kingdom while he retains two-thirds of his angels. If Satan had 100% of the angels, he couldn't have overcome God. This whole concept that Satan just rebelled at God and made a frontal attack against God and tried to overthrow the kingdom of God, I can't understand why people would think that. That doesn't make sense. I wouldn't charge God with one-third of the angels. I believe Satan is stupid but not dumb or however you say that. I believe he's smarter than that. You know what I believe happened? If you were to try and overcome somebody with a superior power, like say, for instance, if you're a bank robber and if you go into the bank and all you got is one little gun and you've got bank guards in there and you've got all of this security and you've got overwhelming force against you, you know what you could do? You go in and take a hostage and you put that gun to their head and you say, if you shoot me, I kill this hostage. And even though they have superior power, they won't use it because they don't want to damage the hostage. You know what happened with Satan? God gave mankind an unconditional authority. In Genesis chapter 1, let me read this to you. 
In Genesis chapter 1, when God created man, it says in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. That's the devil. He is a creep. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God twice here in verse 26 and 28, he says, You have dominion, you rule, you subdue. He gave authority over this earth to people that have physical human bodies. Satan doesn't have a physical body. God doesn't have a physical body or didn't have a physical body. God was a spirit. John 4, 24, Jesus revealed God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God himself didn't have a physical body. He gave dominion over this earth to people with physical bodies. Satan didn't have a physical body. He was an angelic being, a ministering spirit sent forth to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation. He did not have any power on this earth. Only physical bodies, people with physical bodies have power on this earth. He gave us this power and it was an unconditional power. He didn't say, now as long as you do what I tell you to do, then you can rule, then you can reign, then you can have dominion and subdue. No, he didn't put any qualifications on it. And I believe that when Satan saw this, he finally saw his opportunity to come at God because God gave authority to human beings, to physical bodies. And if Satan could get us to yield to him, Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, his servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Even though that verse wasn't written yet, it was part of God. It was the truth. It was his nature. It was the way he was. Satan knew this. And Satan knew that if he could get Adam and Eve to willfully yield to him, then they would give him the authority over this earth. Satan wasn't the God of this world prior to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the gods of this world. It even says that in in Psalms chapter 82 in verse 6. Jesus quoted this in the New Testament. And in Psalms 82, 6, it says, Are ye not, or Jesus quoted it and says, Doesn't the scripture say that ye are all gods? I have said ye are gods and all of you are children of the Most High. Jesus quoted that verse and God was talking about us. We weren't capital G, gods in the sense that we were divine or divinity, but we were in absolute control. Psalms 115 verse 16 says, The heavens, even the heaven of the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given unto the sons of men. God gave the earth, the control of the earth to people. Now he had ownership of them. The earth is the Lord's, it says in Psalm chapter 19. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. They and, all they, uh, they and all them that dwell therein. God owned the earth. It belonged to him, but he gave control, management of it to physical human beings. And he never intended for us to turn it over to the devil. But now here is, here's a truth that escapes most people today. But you've got to understand this if you're going to understand God. Psalms 89 verse 34 says, My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone forth out of my lips. When God says something, it's a contract. It's binding. He will never violate it. Heaven and earth depend on it. It says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 that Jesus upholds all things by the word of His power. If God was to ever break His word, the universe would self-destruct. This world would fall apart. It is held together by the integrity of God's word. He spoke the worlds into existence. And if he ever lied, if he ever violated his word, the world would self-destruct. God cannot lie. God cannot break his word. So when he says, you have dominion, you rule. He never intended for us to give it to the devil, but he would have been unjust 
to come down and say, this is not what I want. I'm changing it. I take it back. I'm going to fix things. I'll run this. That would have been unjust. The world would have self-destructed. God couldn't do that. And so this is why he allowed things to go on. You know, it just infuriates me the way that people blame God for everything and say, why did God cause this baby to be born with Down syndrome? Why did God let this person die? People just assume that when a person dies, their number must have been up. I mean, God must control that. The Bible says very clearly in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus came to destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Satan gained power over death when we yielded unto him. God told us not to eat of the fruit because in the day we'll eat thereof, we'll surely die. God didn't kill us. We killed ourselves by disobedience, by eating that tree. We're the ones that put death into motion. We're the ones that cause people to be born retarded and people to be sick and cause disease. It's the corruption that mankind started in this earth. Of course, strengthened and helped by the devil through his lies and deception. But we're the ones that started this. God doesn't control when a person dies. God doesn't control who has tragedy. God is not the author of all of this stuff. If God is the one who's controlling everything, well, then he's made a mess of the world. I know some of you will take offense at that. Well, I take offense at you blaming God for every rotten thing. Amen. God is not the source of our problems. God is not causing all of this tragedy. We were given the authority to rule and when we yielded to the devil, we became his hostage. And now Satan, in a sense, had a gun to our head and saying, God, if you touch me for what I've done, for the way I tricked Adam and Eve, then you're going to have to kill them too because they willingly. It says over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I believe it's verse 15, that the woman being deceived, she was deceived, but the man was not deceived in the transgression. Eve may have been fooled, but Adam had his eyes open. He saw Eve pass from life to death. He saw her die. He knew that what the serpent had been saying was wrong. But he loved Eve so much that he willfully wanted to be with her rather than to live in life and be separated from her. And he gave his life and plunged into sin knowingly and therefore plunged all of the human race under the power and under the authority of the devil. We're the ones that empowered him. Or here's another way of saying this. God made Lucifer a godly being. Man made Satan. We are the ones that empowered him. We created Satan. We gave him his authority and power. God did not create this demonic force and loose it in the earth just to see if his people could withstand. He created an angelic force that had no power to do anything except serve us. And if we hadn't have bought into the lies that were inspired by the devil, then Satan couldn't have done anything. Adam and Eve, all they had to do was just turn away and say, look, I'm not discussing it. God said don't eat of the tree. End of discussion. Who cares what his reason is? Why? God is a good God. He's never treated us bad. We aren't going there. If they'd have done that, this would have been over. But they bought into it and they willfully submitted themselves unto Satan And that is where Satan got his authority from. And the reason this is so important to me is because Satan isn't an angel who is using a fallen angelic power that is superhuman and supernatural to fight me. Satan is a a fallen being that has no power except the authority that mankind gave him. And Jesus bought that back. Jesus took it to the devil and defeated him. And now he said, I have power in heaven and in earth and beneath the earth. That's talking about hell. He came out of hell with the keys of death and of hell dangling on his side. He's defeated the devil and Satan is a big old zero with the rim knocked off. He is unable to do anything except he's got a huge mouth and he lies and condemns. And one of his biggest... Uh, PR people on the face of the earth is the church. Giving him more credit and more power than he needs 
And because of that, people are afraid that, oh, the devil's come against me and things like this. The devil can't do anything to you. And if you understand that, he has zippo power against you. You know, when I first got really turned on to the Lord, I was raised in the Baptist church. And I was taught that all the demons lived in Africa, some third world country, that there were no demons here. I didn't realize that there was any spiritual things going on. And when I got turned on to the Lord, I came to realize that demons do exist and that there were sicknesses that Jesus cast out of people and they were demons and people were set free. And I began to realize that demon things existed. We started seeing people delivered. They would be uh, hardcore drug addicts and instead of them going through withdrawals, we would cast the spirits out and they'd instantly be set free and no withdrawals. And we started seeing miracles. We started seeing homosexuals delivered of demons. That's really popular today. But if you're a homosexual, you got demons. That rubs you the wrong way. I'm not, I don't hate you. You're just demon possessed. Amen. And you can get delivered of it. There are demons that cause physical traits. When I began to realize this, I started thinking there was a demon on every doorknob. And man, if a person twitched, if they had a twitch, if they coughed, if they sneezed all of the time, I was thinking it was a demon. I, everything was a demon. I got so demon conscious. And, um, you know, I think that most people do something like this. You tend to go from extremes. You're way, it's like a pendulum. You are way over here believing that there are no such things as demons, or if they are, they're only witch doctors in Africa. And then when you find out that, nope, there are demons around, you go all this other way over here to where you think everybody's got a demon. Everything's a demon. If your hair is a certain color, it's because you're demonic. Amen. <laughs> no, there's a balance somewhere in between. But anyway, I went to the extreme and we started seeing demons everywhere. And anyway, it's a long story. But what happened was I had demonic manifestations. I had demons choking me. I'd wake up in the middle of the night. I'd been attacked. I was bleeding. There's a number of times I spent one night fighting with demons. Nobody was around, couldn't see a thing, but something was choking me. And I fought for my life for hours. I've been through a number of things like that. And somebody says, see, the devil's powerful. You know why he was powerful? Because I was giving him that power by focusing on him. I found myself actually praying. I would pray three and four hours a day. And one day it dawned on me that about half of that, an hour and a half of quote unquote prayer was talking to the devil. I thought, something's wrong with this picture. If it's prayer, I should be talking to God, not the devil. And yet I was spending half my time binding this and loosening that, and I'm doing all of these things, and I just decided that was unproductive. You know, one of the ways that all of this came to pass is we... I don't want to go through all these stories. Man, I've done everything I'm preaching against, I've done. So I'm not against anybody, but I'm just... I'll give you a real quick instance that we used to, we read this book. I won't tell you the name of the book because it's not worth the paper that's printed on, but we read it and you had to have two people to cast demons out or the demons would come out of that person and into you. So you had to have two people. You had to have them throw up in a bucket. You had to have them renounce this. You had to have them do that. You had to ask them your name. What's your name? This friend of mine, he said, he talked to a demon-possessed person. What's your name? What's your name? In the name of Jesus, tell me your name. And finally the guy said, liar. And he says, are you telling me the truth? Anyway, we were, we had this form that you had to fill out and it took 45 days of us prepping you and telling you what to do. And we had to go through all these things that Jesus never did. But you know, we didn't know any better. We just knew that there were demons and we didn't know how to deal with it. So we took anybody's advice and we were following all this advice. And anyway, there was a homosexual guy who we'd been prepping for deliverance and he was scheduled for two weeks away or something. And the, the guy who... Uh, helped me cast demons out, was gone to a conference. And we were still in the Baptist church. And so on a Wednesday night, this guy came for deliverance. And the other guy was gone, so they came and got me out of the service. And I went out and, and he was there and he had another demon-possessed guy, another homosexual guy that was with him that came to see if this was real. And if it was, well, then he was going to get deliverance. And so... Uh, Anyway, they called me and they said, well, we're here to get delivered. And I said, you aren't scheduled for deliverance for another couple of weeks. 
And he says, I'm not leaving this place with these demons. I'm getting delivered tonight. And I said, no, you are. I'm not casting them out. And he says, you better do something because they're coming out. You better go to pleading the blood over this place. So this is before Jamie and I got married, but Jamie and I were prayer partners. And so Jamie came back there with me. And I don't think Jamie had ever been through a deliverance at that time. And, and I just had her back there with me. So we went into this room and uh, it was a Sunday school room and it was glass on two sides like this. And, and anyway, we were in there and they had chairs stacked up, you know, 10 on top of each other all the way up to the ceiling and stuff. And we were in there and this guy said, these demons are coming out. And I said, I'm not going to deal with them. And he said, you better do something. And all of a sudden he fell on the floor and got to barking like a dog and writhing like a snake and throwing chairs up against these glass walls and doing things. And I looked around and that other homosexual guy was up on top of one of those stacks of chairs up against the wall like this, looking at it. Jamie was praying in tongues and I didn't know what to do. And so I said, what's your name in the name of Jesus? Tell me your name. And one would name itself. And before I could get that one cast out, another would name itself. And it, and it was, I just felt like I was being made an absolute fool. of. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was I was in there and I thought, oh, Jesus, help Jesus. And finally, I had this scripture come to mind where Jesus commanded them to shut up, keep, uh, keep quiet and come out. And I thought, boy, that would be good. <laughs> and so I just said, in the name of Jesus, I command all of you to shut up and come out in Jesus' name. And this guy just, boom, fell on his face like this, like he was dead. And I went up and kind of rolled him over to see if he was, see if he was alive. And he was just, oh, I'm free, I'm free. And he was just thanking God that he was free. And I thought, well, that was easier than the way I've been doing this. And I decided I was going to quit asking them their name and having them throw up in a bucket and do everything else. I was just going to command them to come out and believe that they were free. And I started changing. But anyway, my point is... That back during that period of time, I had demonic manifestations. I was having things happen to me. I was plagued in my dreams. I was having physical manifestations. That's been about 38 or 40 years ago. I have never had another demonic manifestation since I quit giving Satan so much attention and so much power. Satan was using my own focus on him and my own amplification of his power to intimidate me and to do that. And if you are having demonic manifestations and it seems like you're just plagued in your dreams, it's because you've given Satan more credit than he deserves. Look at this passage of scripture over in Ezekiel chapter 28. What are you laughing at, Wendell? In Ezekiel chapter 28, in verse 11, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up, on, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him. Now, this is talking about the king of Tyrus, but it's really not talking about him. It's talking about the spirit that is working through him. And as you read through this, you can see it very clearly by the things that it's saying. It says in the next phrase, it says, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect and beauty. That's not talking about a man. In verse um, 13, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. That's not talking about a man. As soon as God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, he put a cherubim there at the end, at the east end of gar uh, the garden with a flaming sword to protect it and to keep it from people. No person has ever entered into the Garden of Eden since that time. This isn't talking about the king of Tyrus. It's talking about the demonic power that was working through him. Just as Jesus did, if you remember last night, I was taking those verses out of Mark, Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus looked at Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. He was talking to Peter, but he was talking to the demonic power operating through him. So in verse 13, it says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the stardus, sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Now notice that this is describing 
this demonic power in the Garden of Eden. And it's describing him with this beauty and all of these things. Later, we'll read this in Isaiah 14 and later in this same chapter, Satan is described as this corrupted, terrible looking being. That's after his fall. He lost all of his beauty and stuff. This is describing him still in his sinless, perfect state in the Garden of Eden. And notice it says that his type pipes and his tabards was prepared in him in the day that he was created. That's kind of awkward, but most scholars believe that that's talking about that literally Lucifer had types and musical pipes and musical instruments built into his body. His whole body was to worship the Lord. He was like the praise uh, leader in heaven. I just heard something really good about praise and worship leaders. You know how many worship leaders it takes to change a light bulb? Just one. He just puts his hand up here and the world revolves around him. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you're really gifted and talented. And that's the, way that, uh, that's the way that the devil was right here. And it says in verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub. Now see again, this is a terminology that makes it clear this isn't talking about the man. It's talking about the demonic power that was working through him. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise... They have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty, and thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. And all that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. That's talking about Satan and it's describing him in his perfect state in the Garden of Eden. Again, I believe that that precludes a pre-Adamic civilization and some kind of supernatural empowering of the devil. Satan isn't using supernatural power. He's using the power that we have given him. And that power has now been stripped from him and the only way he can do anything is with your consent and cooperation. Look in Isaiah chapter 14, excuse me, chapter 14. And this is another passage where once again, it's talking about the king of Babylon, but it's really not talking about him. It's talking about the demonic power that operates through him. In Isaiah 14, 4, it says, Thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased? The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and none hindereth. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee and the cedars of Lebanon saying, since thou art laid down, no feller has come up against us. You know, coming from Texas, I used to think that that was talking about that nobody has come out against us. <laughs> says, hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from, uh, uh, it hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Again, not talking about some supernatural demonic power. He has been relegated to nothing. He has to have us, somebody with a physical body, to empower him, Amen. to flow through. In verse 11, thy pomp is brought down to the grave in the noise of thy vials. The worm is spread under thee and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into the heavens. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Satan's sin wasn't that he hated God. It was that he was envious of God. He wanted the glory that was going to God. He wanted God's position. And he was lifted up with pride. And he saw that the God, the power that was given unto angels was a delegated power. If he would have tried to use it against God, you couldn't overcome God with the power that he created. But what he could do, he could go to mankind who was given an unconditional authority that God would not violate it. And if he could get man to submit unto him, then we empowered Satan. We made Satan. God made Lucifer. We made Satan. We empowered him. And the good news about that is if we empowered him, now through the authority that we have in Jesus, we can take that power back. He can't do anything to us without our consent and cooperation. If you understand that, it just makes the battle between us and Satan a brand new deal now. He's a defeated foe. You know, during the same period of time that I was telling you about when I became aware of demonic stuff, there was a room in our house in Arlington, Texas that my grandmother died in. And my grandmother went senile and did some strange things before she died. And there were demons left in that room. We didn't know what it was. When I was a little kid, she died when I was eight years old. And I was in a room with my brother, so I didn't want to share the room with my brother, so I moved into the room where my grandmother lived. I wasn't in there but about a week, and I was gone because things happened in that room. Her pictures came off of the wall, and things were going on in that room. And I, at eight years old, I was afraid to tell anybody what was happening because I knew it wasn't supposed to be this way, and I was afraid they'd make fun of me, but I didn't last but about a week, and I moved back in with my brother. So my brother moved in that room. He didn't last but a week. He came back in. So my sister decided she'd move into that room and my brother could have her room. She didn't last but a week. We lived and that room always stayed empty. And then when we started having Bible studies and stuff, everybody would go into every room of that house to pray with each other, but nobody would go into that room. We kept that room shut up. We didn't keep it air conditioned. We didn't keep it heated. It was always shut up. And nobody knew exactly why. When I got turned on to the Lord and began to realize about demonic stuff, I put two and two together and I figured out what it was. And so one day I went in there and I was going to cast those demons out of that room and get rid of this stuff. And so I was in there, I closed the door behind me and I was rebuking and I was speaking and binding. And man, I had all the hair on the back of my neck standing up. I was thinking, oh Jesus, I'm glad I can't see into the spirit realm because there's probably these huge demonic powers with fangs and claws that are just barely, I'm just barely able to survive against them. And I was seeing me just walking through this gauntlet of demonic powers that were just about to consume me. And the Lord spoke to me while I was doing that and said, you got it all wrong. If you could see into the spirit realm, he said, you'd see these little tiny things about like an ant that are nothing and they're 99% mouth. They're just big mouth. All they can do is yell. They're just screaming, trying to intimidate you, but they're nothing. And you know what? When I saw that, instead of this hair raising up on the back of my neck and instead of fear, I mean, it was like the Incredible Hulk came on me. Like, I'm the one that has power and authority. How dare the devil intimidate me? And you know what? Something snapped on the inside of me and that's when I began to start changing some things. You know, I went to a man's house one time in uh, Trinidad, Colorado, and I was spending the night with him, and he had uh, some attack dogs, uh, pit bull dogs, and they had all of these awards. I mean, there was a whole wall that was full of awards for this being an attack dog, and I was fine as long as, you know, I was in there with him, but then when I was going to go to sleep that night, I was going to sleep in the room where the attack dog slept. And he wanted me to go sleep in that room. And so I asked this guy, I said, well, what happens if I have to get up during the night and go to the bathroom or something? I said, what's going to happen with this attack dog? He says, oh, that dog won't hurt you. And I said, well, he's an attack dog. You showed me all of these things. And he says, he's an attack dog. He's not a mean dog. 
He says, my dog had never hurt anybody. And I couldn't put the two together. I said, if he's an attack dog, I said, wouldn't he hurt me? And he, said, he gave me this example that a guy broke into his house and they lived way out in the country, like 20 minutes away from anybody else. And he said that a guy broke into his house and this dog attacked that guy, knocked him to the ground and put his mouth over his arm and held him for three and a half hours till somebody came home. But he never broke the skin and he never damaged him. He would just hold him and if this guy would start to get up, he'd growl and squeeze. And the guy just laid there. He said, and that's an attack dog. He says, a dog that would bite a person and damage him, he says, that's a mean dog. He says, I'd kill a dog like that. And when he said that, something snapped on the inside of me because I'm a jogger. During that time, I was running six miles a day and in Sylacauga, Alabama one time, I had about 10 dogs tree me at five in the morning. I was out jogging and they chased me and I got in this tree and I had to stay up there for an hour and a half until somebody woke up and came out and got me free. And I've had dogs chase me from one end of this country to the other end of this country. I've been bit by dogs. I've been attacked. I'm not afraid of them, but I had a healthy respect for them, I guess. I was intimidated by dogs because of experience. And when he said that, it just dawned on me. I'm the one God gave me authority over every animal on the face of this earth and I was letting dogs intimidate me. And did you know when that happened, something changed on the inside of me and I was still jogging and I remember, I forgot where this was, but I was jogging and two Doberman pinchers came after me. And I mean, they were hot on my trail. And when I saw them, I turned around. I got down in their face. I was swinging everything I had. I was kicking. I was swinging my fist at them. And I was fighting these dogs. And man, those dogs turned around. And it was funny to see a jogger chasing two Dobermans down the street. I was chasing them. And man, they were whimpering and whining and running. And you know, ever since then, I have never had a dog that stood up to me. I had one blue healer come out against me. And this, I mean, I got down and I fought this dog a number of times. I've not been intimidated by him. And I found out that dogs, you know, animals can perceive if there's fear in your heart. And if there's fear in your heart, they'll come against you. But when they know that you have no fear, you're the one with the authority. And you know what? You can make dogs back down to you once you understand that you're the one that's in a position of authority. And it's the same thing with the devil. The devil is just all mouth. And he's been overstated. His position has been overstated. We're the ones with power and authority. And you do not have to be afraid of the devil. He does not have a physical body. And God gave authority to people that have physical human bodies. Even an ant has more authority than the devil because it's got a physical body. Satan can't do anything without something physical cooperating with it. And if you would quit cooperating, you can end his dominance of you. Now, the only, the only thing I have to add as a PS to that is that even though you may not be submitting to the devil, you live in a world where there are millions and billions of people who are. And you may be affected to some degree by what they do. But nobody has as much control over you as you do. And ultimately, you can control what goes on in your life. You need to remember this same process, though, that when you're... Some of you may be getting hold of the truths I'm talking about and saying, man, I believe this. We've got authority. I'm going to go out and I'm going to start seeing the dead rays and the blind eyes open. And you, you want to go out and just see all of these things happen for other people. Those other people have more authority over their life than you do. You have to take their authority into account. You have to get that person into some degree of compliance and response to you. You know, Jesus did this constantly. Sometimes it's subtle so that we don't see it. But Jesus would constantly get people to take some step of faith. He would tell a man whose arm was withered and he couldn't stretch it out. He'd say, stretch out your hand. He would tell them to do something that they couldn't do. And I'm sure at first they couldn't move it, but they would try and do. And as they started cooperating and yielding to the word of faith, then the power of God manifests. When people came to Jesus' meetings, they were kicked out of the synagogue. They were excommunicated for being a Jew. It cost them their nationality. It cost them their salvation according to the doctrine of that day. 
So for G- to come to one of Jesus' meetings, you were an outcast. You know, there's people that come to this meeting and you might have been drugged here by a fanatic. You may not like a thing that you're hearing or you may have come and you're trying to sleep through the whole thing but your husband or your wife or your mother or whatever forces you to come up here and so you're going to come up here and just try prayer and you don't believe anything and you're just going to prove nothing works. There's people like that that come to my meetings but in Jesus' day, boy, you didn't come to Jesus' meeting because you were an outcast. You were associating with an outcast. People who came to Jesus' meeting had already taken a step of faith. So often you'll find Jesus telling them, your faith has set you free. Be it done unto you according to your faith. But in the ninth chapter of the book of John, you find an instance where Jesus and his disciples were walking out of the temple and they saw a man there who had been blind from birth. And the disciples said, Lord, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus said, it's not anybody's fault that he was born blind. It's not always tied to a sin. But see, this man didn't ask for healing. He was pointed out by somebody else. And since he didn't come to Jesus' meetings, since he hadn't taken any step, Jesus spit on the ground and made clay out of the spit and put this on this man's eyes. Some people wonder why Jesus does the things that he does. And they think, well, it's just so that he can be weird, so that nobody can ever figure out a pattern and make five steps out of something. They just think God delights in doing things awkwardly and who knows, no rhyme or reason. The God who created such order and system in the universe himself is organized. There's a reason why he does what he does. The reason he did that for that man is because that man didn't take a step of faith. He hadn't done anything. He was passive. He was just sitting there and somebody else pointed him out. So faith without works is dead. He had to do something. His body had to get into agreement. He had to, with his physical body, submit to either God or the devil. And this man, he's no different than any of us. If you were begging for money and somebody came by and spit on your eyes, what would you do? Most of us would just wipe it off or gripe or complain about it, but we certainly wouldn't get up and walk three-fourths of a mile through busy Jerusalem streets with camels and donkeys and things like this, a blind man stumbling through three-fourths of a mile to go wash in a dirty pool. For this man to do that, you know what that was? That was an act of faith. God was getting him to do something. Your actions are important. This is why that when you're believing for healing, don't lay in bed, pop pills, have your wife rub your fevered brow and act sick. Use your body like a weapon. Submit it to God and act like you're well. Do what you didn't feel like doing. Don't lay in bed and do what you feel like doing. Get up and use your body as a weapon. I remember coming home one day. This is back when we were struggling financially and I had a painting job. And man, we needed the money badly. And I got so sick. I was up on a an extension ladder as far as it would go and it wouldn't reach the eve of this house. And so I tied myself by a rope up there and I was swaying in the breeze, painting. And I got sick. And I was feeling terrible. And I came home for lunch and Jamie was fixing me something for lunch and I told her, oh, I don't think I'm able to go back to work. Boy, we needed the money. And Jamie says, you are going back to work. (laughs) I said, but... But I feel bad. And she says, you get up and act well. And she got my arm around her neck and drug me through the house, dancing and praising God and singing, you're healed. (laughs) Told me you are healed. You're going to act like you're healed. Amen. And within 30 minutes, I as well. You got to act in agreement. You got to put your body into motion. And some of us are sitting there just afraid to move or whatever, afraid to do anything. And you know what? By your actions, you are empowering the devil. How many of you lay in bed all day if you don't feel bad? You shouldn't. You should be up and working. If you're laying in bed all day and if you won't get off the couch and you can't go to work because you feel bad, that's not faith. You need to get up and go to acting Like you will. Do what you don't feel like doing. If you understand this, your body is a powerful weapon. Whoever you yield it to has dominion over you. Romans 6.16. And if you yield it to faith and yield it to God, then the power of God begins to start having uh, dominance over you. 
Well, that's powerful. I've said some awesome things here today. And I've got a lot more to go with it. You know, tonight I've laid down kind of a foundation. Tonight I've got something to share with you that if you can get this, it will transform your life. This is one of the simplest, most profound things that God's ever shown me. And most people do not think this way. And it's, it's all based on what I've said up to this point. We're going to get into something that will really help you. So I encourage you to come back and get that teaching. Also get the tapes of last night and this morning. This is kind of stuff you don't hear very often. And you know what? You need to hear it. You need to be reminded that you're the one that's in the driver's seat. Satan is not the factor that he's been made out to be. There are some of you who have just empowered the devil by your focus on that. You see yourself as being inferior to the devil. And boy, Satan loves that. You're the one that's in the driver's seat. You are, you know, it says there, and it says that when we see him, we're going to say, is this the one that made the nations to tremble? That did weaken the nations. You know, we're going to get to heaven. And we're going to, the Lord's going to be saying, why did, you, why did you walk in sickness all of your life? Why did you never walk in victory? Why were you always poor? Why were you always defeated? And you're going to, well, the devil made me do it. And he's going to show you the devil. And he's going to be this sniveling, defeated nothing. And you're going to say, that's him? This is the one that I let ruin my life? This is the one that I let kill people close to me. This is the one that destroyed my life. And you know, the Bible says he's going to wipe all tears away from our eyes. That's not because we're all going to just limp into heaven, just barely making it and all crying about how bad everything is. I believe it's when we stand before the Lord and we see that we had this power on the inside of us, that we were absolute victors and yet we let the devil beat us up There's going to be weeping and crying and gnashing of teeth standing before God. And God's going to have to wipe the tears away from our eyes and enable us to enjoy heaven. Man, we're going to be kicking ourselves for the way that we let this nobody rule and dominate us. Praise God. Brothers and sisters, we are the victors.